But this I know with all my heart, His wounds have paid my ransom. That's beautiful, guys. Thank you all very much. We're going to be in the book of Revelation again this morning, chapter 3. We're going to read verses 7 through 13. I know you stand a lot, but we always like to stand. If you have the means and you're able, we like to stand as um, we give reverence to reading this Word of God. If you need to stay seated, we understand. Revelations chapter 3, we'll read verse 7 through 13. If you're there, say amen. If you ain't there, say hold on. Got to wait on the blind guy. All right. Revelations chapter 3, verse 7, this is how it reads. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write the words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews but are not, they lie, Behold, I will make them to come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You can be seated. This will be our third week that we have been in this church of Philadelphia. And... um, My goal today is to get through it and get past it. We'll see how that goes. But um, we started out by looking at this faithful church and why it was faithful. We found out that they were a humble church. We found out that they understood that they were small and that they had to lean on God for everything that they needed. They understood that they were a church that had but little power. And yet they had not denied the name of Jesus Christ. They were holding fast and being faithful to His Word. And so here we see a church that is humble. We see a church that is faithful. We see a church that is unashamed and loyal to the name of Jesus Christ. We see a church that is patiently enduring and they are overcoming all of the things that the, the, that Satan would throw at them to try to destroy their faith. They are just trusting God through it all. And so what we see here is that the faithful church is not a church that has a hundred different ministries to where there's so much going on that everybody's just playing a part somewhere. Now can that be a faithful church? Absolutely it can. But that's not what we see here. What we see is a church that really 
they, they, they probably ha- hardly have enough members in this place to really accomplish much. And yet, God does not, or Christ here does not commend them because of all their great ministries and all the great work that they are doing as far as outreach goes, but instead, He commends them on the fact that they have a humble spirit. He commends them on the fact that they are faithful to His Word. You know, I'm going to tell you something. I would rather stand before God and hear Him say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You kept my word in your life. I would rather hear Him say that than to hear Him say, or than to say back to Him, as many of them will, Lord, Lord, did we not raise the dead? Lord, Lord, did we not heal the sick? Lord, Lord, did we not build hospitals and build schools and... And did we not build ministries that that reached out to the hungry? And did we not give uh, water to those that were thirsty? And did we not uh, have ministries that clothed those that are naked? And you remember what he said to most of those? Depart from me. I never knew you. You workers of iniquity. The problem was, this was a group of people that even though they had many ministries and did a lot of things right, they were not faithful to his word. They were not faithful to be obedient to where He was leading and where He was guiding. And so here we see the faithful church and one of the greatest qualities that they have is that they were faithful to the Word of Christ. And they were loyal to Christ's name. He said, you have not denied my name. You have been patiently enduring in spite of the difficulties that you face. And so we see this faithful church here and the reasons why they are faithful. But what I want to focus on today is the promises that Christ gives this faithful church. And I want you to be very careful because us as Americans in in the Western culture today, it is very easy for us to hear these promises of God and they come across as just bland and insignificant. They really don't... They really don't mean much to us when we hear these promises that are made. And so I want us to be careful that when we study these promises, that we understand why they were precious to this church in Philadelphia, and then based on that interpretation, how it should be precious and why it should be precious to us today, even though we're in a different culture different language, different backgrounds, completely different from these people and the lifestyle of faith that they were living in. And so we began with the first promise that he gave last week in verse 8. Notice in verse 8 he said, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. The first promise we have here is that Christ says... I have opened a door, and if I open the door, no one can shut this door. As we studied last week, I'm not going to go over all of it again, but basically here's the gist of it. There are two possible interpretations of this. One interpretation is that Christ has opened up a door for evangelism, for them to be able to share the gospel. And we talked about the... um, uh, the, the location of Philadelphia and why this is a great possibility. Also the fact that there were Jews that were going to learn that Christ loved them. So we see that it is possible that this open door is indeed an open door for evangelism. But I believe in its context, maybe a more accurate interpretation is that 
You remember when Christ described Himself in the previous verse of verse 7? He told them, I have the key of David. And I have the ability to open with this key. And if I open, no one will shut. And I have the ability to shut with this key. And if I shut it, no one can open it. And ultimately, I believe a more correct interpretation here would be that the key of David was the one that had access to the treasury of God and to, the, to have access to the king. So he could either grant you access to the king and to all of his blessings, or if he says you can't come in, guess what? You ain't coming in. And so when we see Jesus... Uh, when He teaches us that He is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father but by Him. When He teaches that He is the door, and that all who enter in must come through Him. All throughout the Scriptures we see Jesus teaching that He has the key that gives access to the King. And if He opens it, no one can shut it. And if He shuts it, no one can open it. And ultimately what we see, and we're going to see in verse, uh, I think verse 8 or verse 9 here in a moment, we're going to see that they were suffering great persecution from the ones that were supposed to be the children of God, the ones who called themselves Jews. And now we're going to see that they are going to come and bow at their feet and they are going to learn that Christ has loved them. Now that's pretty uh, important there. They're going to learn this. Now this could be... Uh, Jesus saying that they're going to learn it the hard way and that they're going to learn it as they are condemned for their unbelief. Or it could mean that Christ is going to open a door for them to minister to these Jews and that the ones that are actually their enemies now will eventually become their brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I truly believe that when we study this first promise, Behold, I have set before you an open door that no one is able to shut. I believe what he's saying is that when you are the faithful church and when you can look at your life and see the evidence of genuine faith, I'm not saying that just because you're humble and just because you, um, you are um, keeping the Word of God and you're following it, um, I'm not saying that just because you're unashamed and you'll claim Jesus' name anywhere in front of anybody, I'm not saying that just because you persevere in the church that that is the evidence that you are genuinely saved and Christ has opened the door and no one can shut it. But I am saying that you can look at your faithfulness in your life and it proved to you that you have genuine faith. And as those works prove that you have genuine faith, you can be assured that because of what you see in your life, because of the evidence that the, that the Holy Spirit is producing fruit for God in your life, then you can be one that can claim this promise, that can say, Christ has indeed set before me an open door, and no one can shut it. And let me tell you something, guys. This is a beautiful and precious promise. Have you ever been one of those that question, God, am I even saved at all? Come on, can I get a witness in here? God, am I even saved at all? Let me tell you something. You can evaluate your life and you can see whether you believe and you can see evidence of whether or not you have followed that faith. And if you see the evidence of faithfulness in your life, 
you can rest assured that this promise is yours. In spite, listen, this was not a perfect church. I didn't say this is a perfect church. I said it's a faithful church. There is no such thing as a perfect church because there is no such thing as a perfect Christian. And so I'm not saying here that you have to be perfect to, to claim this promise. I'm saying you have to be faithful. And if you're faithful, you can see the evidence of the genuine faith in your life and you can claim the promise that in spite of my failures, in spite of my flaws, Christ Jesus has opened the door to give me access to the King and to all the kingdom's blessings. And if He opened it, no one can shut it. And let me tell you this, that no one includes you. If He opened it, you can't shut it. It is a promise that you can claim that He has given me access to the King and all of the King's blessings. Moving on to the next promise in verse 9. Look what He says in verse 9. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. You know, this was a very precious promise to them, and I want to explain to you why. Remember, they were faithful to His Word, right? Well, let me tell you a scripture, and I've got it uh, typed out here so I don't have to turn to it. A scripture that Jesus commanded in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. He said, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. And then he gives the reason why. So let me give you the, the, the context here so that you can see it. He wants you to understand here that he is commanding you to do something that is contrary to your nature. This is not you. Matter of fact, this is absolutely against everything that you would naturally do. And he wants you to understand that the reason you need to do this is so that you can be sons of your Father. In other words, this is part of the evidence that you are a chip off the old block. This is part of the evidence that you carry the character of the God and the Father whom you serve. And so he says, here's the reason why this is God's character. For He makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good, and sins reign on the just and on the unjust. God gives a common grace to all. Whether evil, whether it's Hitler, or, or whether it's um, Saint, um, name a saint that you want to say, Mother Teresa. It don't matter who it is. God gives a common grace that applies to all. He makes His sun rise on both the good and the evil. He sends His rain on both the just and the unjust. And He extends His kindness because it is in His kindness that leads us to repentance. And so this is a common grace that's given to all of us. And then verse 46, He says this, For if you love those who love you only, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors love those who love them? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? 
You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. He is calling you to a much higher standard than what the rest of the world does. And if you are going to live for the glory of God and reflect the glory of God in your life and be signs of your Father in heaven, then He has called you, specifically in this scripture, to love your enemies. To not retaliate, to not turn against them, to not try to pay back the evil that they have shown toward you, but instead to give good when they give you evil. Now let me tell you something. This is a church that according to Jesus Christ, they have been faithful to His Word. That means when these who are so-called Jews, yet they're not because they lie, because they're not actually children of God, they're children of Satan. He said, these are people that have come against you. They have persecuted you. There's no telling what they have caused you. Probably death. They probably turned the Romans against them and probably had them killed the same way they tried, the same way they did Christ, the same way they were trying to do the Apostle Paul. We see this all throughout the scriptures that when the Jews persecuted, one of the ways they did this is by causing them to be cast before the Romans to be killed for their faith. And so here we have a group of people that are more than likely killing these Christians because of their faith, and yet they're loving them. Let me tell you something. That's not in our culture, is it? Not many of us in here can say that we have shown love toward our enemies. Not many of us in here can say that we are being faithful to this command. And so here we have a promise from Christ that comes in and says, Listen, you've been faithful. You've loved your enemies. You've prayed for those that are persecuting you. You have went above and beyond and you have been perfect in this even as your heavenly Father is perfect. But now I've got a promise for you. I will make those who say they are Jews and are not, they actually lie, but are of the synagogue of Satan. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. And this promise is beautiful. See, it could go one of two ways. Some believe that this promise comes from a a teaching of the Apostle Paul where he said that all Israel will be saved. In other words, not necessarily every single so-called Jew, but that there will be a great conversion of Jews, especially toward the end of time that um, Christ is going to save a big majority of the Jews. That teaching comes from Romans chapter 11, verse 26 and 27. Actually, it says this, And in this way, all Israel will be saved. And what he was talking about is is that he was declaring here that God has blinded the Jews for a time to this gospel so that the Gentiles have the opportunity to come into it but it is going to provoke the Jews to jealousy. And as this happens, in this way, Paul says, because of their jealousy toward the way the Gentiles are flocking to God, in their jealousy, in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion, and he will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins." 
Now, whether or not you agree with this teaching of this doctor or not, most of you probably have never even heard of it. So the Wednesday night crew, we studied this not too long ago. But whether you agree with this doctor or not, there are some people that believe here's what's happening in Revelation 3. They believe that this promise is saying that I am going to lead your enemies because of your love. I'm going to lead your enemies to you and they're going to bow at your feet and they're going to learn from you that I have loved you. In other words, these so-called Jews, but are not right now, are going to come to know me as Lord and Savior because of you. Because of what you have done in being faithful to my name. Now listen, whether or not that doctrine is true or not, we know this. That we are called to pray for our enemies. That we are called to love our enemies. And Romans chapter 12, I believe it is, at the end of it, Romans chapter 12 tells us that in doing this, he said, if your enemy is hungry, he said, don't repay evil for evil. But on the contrary, he said, make sure that you do good to those who are evil towards you. And he said, the reason that you can do this is because God will repay Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And so we put our trust in God that we don't have to take revenge for ourselves. That we don't have to retaliate against evil. But instead, we can show love. Instead, we can do good to those who are evil toward us. And as we do that, uh, Romans chapter 12, I believe it is, says, In doing so, you will heap coals of fire on their head. And ultimately... That means in two different ways. It could mean that they are going to be so ashamed of the good that you have shown toward them in response to their evil that they're going to be so ashamed that it will lead them to turn and repent. Or it also could mean that literally you reap coals of hot fire on their head. And literally by you being good to them and them not turning to Christ and them not seeing the love of God through you, it just adds the wrath of God to them. Either way, here's what we need to understand in this promise. Christ is going to make all of our enemies bow at our feet. We will reign with Jesus Christ. And right now, we are to be faithful and we are to make sure that we love those who are, who are persecuting us. We love those who are, are evil toward us. We're doing good to them in response to their evil. And as we do that... It proves that we are sons of our Father who is in heaven. And it also proves that we have genuine faith in the Word of God when He says, I will repay. We say when we love those that are not loving toward us but are evil toward us, we say to God, I trust you. I will endure this suffering now because I know that either you are going to save them through the love that I show or you will repay every wrong that has ever been done to me. And for a person that is being faithful, y'all listen to me church because this promise comes out as bland and insignificant to a lot of folks, a lot of Christians. But to a person that's actually being faithful in this and is actually loving their enemies is actually doing good to those who are doing evil to you, a person who's actually doing this, this is a precious promise. I will make those that are your enemies bow at your feet. 
and they will learn that I am your Father. They will learn that I have loved you. And that promise is so precious to a person that is being faithful in His Word. But church, I'm talking to us today because that's not our nature. That is not our nature. No, listen, there are a lot of people that we, we joke about this right here. This ain't a joking matter when it comes to Christ's command. But we joke about it. We say, yeah, I'll turn the other cheek. And then I'm going to turn their cheek too. Or we, we, we joke about this stuff. And this is not a joking matter. Christ commands us and He is very clear in this. Love your enemies. Do good to those who are doing evil to you. Because in doing this, you reflect the glory of God that you are a child of your Father. In doing this, you show that you trust that God is going to repay every wrong. There is not a tear that you have shed that will not be accounted for. Not a tear. He will right every wrong. And when we trust this and we are being faithful to Him in doing this, this promise becomes very precious to people like you and I. And so it is my prayer for us this morning that when we read this promise, that we read it and we go, God, thank you because I'm being faithful to your word and I'm loving my enemies. <clears throat> the next promise. Go down to um, verse 10 of Revelation chapter 3. Verse 10 of Revelation chapter 3. He says this, because you have kept my word about patient endurance. Now notice that first word of verse 10. Because. In other words, the promise that I'm fixing to give you is in light of the fact that you have kept my word about patient endurance. In other words, you're waiting on my return. You don't have these promises in your hand yet. They are just promises. That's it. And yet, you are being patient and you are enduring in these things in spite of the fact that right now, all you have is the Word of God. That's what you have. And Jesus says here, Because you have kept My Word about patient endurance... And because you are patiently enduring in this, I am going to keep you. I love this. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. This is a faithful church that has already been tested and tried. And now I believe what Christ is telling them is because you have been faithful and pass the tests, you won't have to take the final. You remember in school whenever, uh, whenever you would do good throughout the year and you passed all the other tests and it come to the end and, and, and the teacher would say, well, you're exempt from the finals. And the reason you were exempt from the finals is because why? You had already proven that you knew what it was that was going to be on the final. And so because you had already passed all the other tests, now we get to a test that He says, you're not going to have to take this one. And let me tell you something, the final is always the worst. 
And I truly believe that this promise is Christ telling the faithful, the ones that have patiently endured, the ones that keep His Word, the ones that love their enemies, and the ones that are actually doing what He commands. And they suffer as a result of it. They have to study hard. They have to work hard. They're doing all this stuff to keep His Word. And they have to patiently endure. And yet now Christ comes in and says, Listen, you passed the test. You've already passed it. And because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from this trial, this hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Now here's one thing that we can look at. We don't know for certain what great trial he's referring to here. There, there are many teaching that, that, that believe that this is just talking about the great tribulation uh, spoken of in Daniel, the, Daniel's 70th week. If you were to go back and read the book of Daniel, he talks about in the 70th week how this great tribulation and trial is coming on the whole world and hardly no one will be able to stand through this trial. It is just a great tribulation. It could be the same one that Christ talks about in Matthew 24 where He says, if those days were not cut short, no one would be saved. And He talks about how tremendous and how trying this time is going to be. So it could be this time that He's talking about. In Revelation chapter 6 all the way through chapter 18, we're going to study about the opening of the seals of God, the opening of the wrath of God, and how God pours out His wrath with, with, uh, with trial after trial. And so again, this could be this great tribulation that He's talking about that I'm going to save you from this. Also, there are many places that in the context when it says of the whole world, many times it's talking about the whole world of Israel or the whole world of Philadelphia or the whole world of Asia Minor. There are many places in the Bible that the whole world is in reference to the world of that place. And so it could mean that he's talking about a great trial that is going to come upon Philadelphia. And he's saying, I'm going to save you and keep you from that trial. We're not sure exactly what trial for sure he is talking about, but one thing is certain. If you're faithful, there is a, notice what he says here, an hour of trial, so there's a time period here. It's going to be a time of, of trial. It is an hour that is meant to try your faith. It is an hour that is meant to, um, to test just how genuine your belief in God and what He has promised you is. And some of those tests are whether or not we love our enemies, like He was talking about earlier. Because if you don't love your enemies, you are saying, without saying it, but this is what you're saying. You're saying, God, I don't trust that you're going to repay. Or you're saying, God, I don't trust that your payment is going to be sufficient enough to make my wrath satisfied. And so it proves that you really didn't believe what God promised you. That vengeance is mine, I will repay. And so ultimately what we see here is that we have trials and tests of our faith and this is an hour that is coming that's going to test how genuine your faith is. It could mean even more persecution. 
No matter what it is, we know that it's testing whether or not you really believe what God has said. It is an hour of trial and it is coming on the whole world. And whether that means the whole world is in all of planet Earth or the whole world is in all of Asia Minor, the fact of the matter is it's coming on a big group of people. And it's going to affect a lot of places. And he says, and it is coming to do what? To try those who dwell on the earth. Now I believe that this teaching is about the rapture. I do believe that it is likely that this teaching, even though he's speaking to Philadelphia... I still believe that this is in the context of the fact that Christ is saying to all Christians that are faithful and that have proven that their faith is genuine. He's saying, because you have kept my word about patient endurance in faith, because you have done this, I'm going to save you and keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world. I believe this is the reason why when you get to Revelation chapter 4, the church is mentioned no more. You don't see... You don't see the Christians, you don't see the church anymore until you get to, I think, Revelation 20 or Revelation 19, I believe it is. You don't see them anymore. They're gone. And I truly believe the reason that is is because He has promised that when He comes again, He's going to snatch the Christians of genuine faith out of this world and take them to heaven with Him. And I believe that this is the hour of trial that He's talking about. Because you have been faithful, I'm going to save you from the final hour. Whether or not my interpretation of that is correct or not, I, I don't know. I, um, I don't. That's what I believe the Bible teaches. But one thing is certain. Whether it teaches that exact interpretation or not, there's a trial that's coming. And it is great. But to the ones that are faithful now in the little things, His promise to you is this. You're not going to have to face the final. You're not going to have to face the big trial. And let me tell you something, guys. You don't want to face the final. You know why? Primary reason? Because it might prove that you didn't pass. It might prove that you didn't pass. And so this promise to the ones that are faithful now, this promise is very precious. And this promise was very precious to this church that had endured some great trials, great persecution. And now Christ comes in and says, Listen, I know your faith has been tested and I know it's been tried. And let me go, go through this with you too. In uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse um, 6 and 7, listen to what this says. Because I don't want you to think that God's just up there letting Satan have his way and test and try us just because it's fun for him. No, there is purpose in our testing. There is purpose in trying our faith. And so here's what he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So this, these trials are grievous. These trials are distressing. But then look at verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's what you see from Peter. Now you remember, when Peter was sitting at the Last Supper, and Jesus said, listen, all the sheep are going to be scattered. They're going to strike the shepherd and the sheep are just going to go astray. 
You remember what Peter's response was? Not me. No siree. No, even if everybody else runs away from you, I will never forsake you. And Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, Peter. <laughs> Peter, Peter. Simon has already asked for you to sift you. Or I'm sorry, Satan has already asked for you to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. What we see from Peter in this is that if necessary, God sends trials for your faith. And let me tell you something, it's necessary. You remember Job? Job was a perfect and blameless man in the sight of God, right? But then Satan comes and asks for him and God lets him do it. You know why? Because it was necessary. You know why it was necessary? You learned throughout his trial. Throughout his trial, Job was a very righteous man, but he didn't even realize how great a pride he had inside of himself until the suffering began to bring it to the surface. And let me tell you something that happens Why Peter um, he relates this to gold uh, as, um, that perishes though it is tested by fire. You know what happens to gold in the refiner's fire? All the impurities come to the top, right? Let me tell you, when God puts you in the fire and He tests your faith, all the impurities come to the top. That's exactly what happened to Job. That's exactly what happened to Peter. Satan wanted to sift him like wheat. And God said, you may, because it's necessary. And as Satan sifted Peter, the chaff came off, didn't it? Peter denied Christ three times. Three times after declaring, I will never forsake you. I will never deny you. And that stuff that he didn't even know was there came to the top. And when it comes to the top, then you have the opportunity to deal with it and take it away. And so it is necessary for trials to come. And he's trying your faith right now. But if you pass the, the test now, the promise of Christ is you won't have to take the final. I want you to think of every situation in your life as a Christian right now that you face that's brought you so much heartache, that's brought you so much hurt, the night spent crying and tears and, and the, the way that Satan came after your children or came after your grandchildren, the way that Satan attacked your marriage or the way, that, the way that Satan attacked your family or the way that Satan attacks you with depression and anxiety or whatever else it is. Y'all with me? I want you to take that right now and I want you to look at that and go, those are just glimpses. All that pain, all that hurt, all those tears. And they're still only glimpses of the test that's coming. So here Jesus says, listen, I don't care what test you've been through. Because, you have test, because you've kept my word about faithful endurance. Because you've kept my word and been patient and endured through this. And been faithful in my name. I will keep you from the final hour of trial that is coming upon the whole earth that is to try those who dwell on the face of this earth. Another very precious promise. Let's go to the next promise. I might actually get through with these today. <clears throat> the next promise comes from verse 11. Verse 11 says, I am coming soon. <laughs> Let me tell you something. These are people that are patiently enduring, right? Pa being patient means to wait, correct? It means I'm, instead of reacting, I'm, I'm waiting and I'm, I'm doing what is right. He says here that, I understand you've kept my word about patient endurance. 
Listen, you're loving your enemies. You're being humble. You're being faithful to my word. You're, you're being loyal to my name. All of these things you're doing and you're patiently doing it. Listen, here's my promise. I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. Guys, a life passes by so fast. Don't it? I, I wish I could get somebody in here that's over the age of 60 maybe to say, man, it's gone by so fast. So fast. So fast. So fast. And you know, we don't know how much time we've even got left. A lifetime passes by so fast. And yet he says here, I am coming. I will be there. I'm on my way. Matthew chapter 24 verse 13 says, He who endures to the end will be saved. Ultimately, it's about you persevering in your faith. Your salvation ain't about how many times you ask Jesus into your heart at this altar. That's a fact, Jack. There are going to be a bunch of people that stand before God and say, Lord, Lord. You know what that means? They knelt at an altar or somewhere and asked Jesus into their heart. But something didn't happen. They didn't have genuine faith. And so what you see here is you see that this is a group of people that has genuine faith and are enduring to the end. They are persevering in their faith. And it is evidence that their faith is real. And he who endures to the end shall be saved. It don't matter if you run nine great laps of a ten lap race. If you quit on lap ten, guess what? You lose. And what we see here is a group of people that didn't quit on the tenth lap. They are faithfully enduring. They are persevering in this race. They are enduring to the end. And he says, listen guys, I'm coming. I know this life passes by so fast and I know that sometimes it seems like it's been forever since I made this promise, but I am coming. Jesus, the person, is coming. The one who has declared that He has prepared a place for me, He is coming. In my Father's house, there are many rooms, many mansions. If it were not so, I'd have told you. I can't lie. I'm telling you the truth. I am coming, and I have a place prepared for you. You know, this was the mindset of people in, um, in, in the, the Bible that walked in genuine faith. This is why this, um, this was a heavy motivator for why they walked in faith. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34 for me. I want you to look at this mindset, this mindset that was there. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. How many of y'all would joyfully accept somebody breaking into your house today and taking everything that you own? How many of y'all would gladly accept today that um, it is illegal to be a Christian and now that you have been caught they are going to come and they are going to take all of your stuff away and throw you into prison. How many of you will joyfully accept that? Here's one of the issues. We need to get an understanding that we know we have a better possession 
and an abiding one. Guys, we don't realize that this life is temporary. We really think that this is where we're making it at. That's just, that's just the way it is. Our American culture, we believe that this is it. We don't say that. We say everything else, but we live in such a way that we say, this life in this world is what it's all about. And if something happens to take any of that away, I'm talking any of it. I went and visited a guy years ago. He's not even in this state anymore, so I believe I can say this without offending him. I went and visited a guy in the hospital that tried to commit suicide. And you know why he tried to commit suicide? They came and they repossessed his TV. That's a true story. Young man. I went and visited him in the hospital. He tried to kill himself because they came and repossessed his TV. Now I want to tell you something, guys. Some of us can't even joyfully accept if our TV got took away. Some of us couldn't joyfully accept if one meal got took away from us. And here we have a group of people that joyfully accepted the plundering of all of their goods, all of their property, because they knew that I, my life is not about this world. Did y'all hear that? Because I don't think you heard that. They joyfully accepted the plundering of all their goods because they knew my life is not about this world. But instead, I have a better possession and an abiding one. So Satan, if you want to take my TV, take my TV. Satan, if you want to take my truck, I love my truck. But if you want to take my truck, take my truck. If you want to take my house, take my house. Whatever you want to take, you go ahead and take it. Because a man that don't own nothing anyway, you can't take nothing from him. A man that knows that he don't own anything anyway, I can't keep it anyway. Will it hurt? Yeah, it'll hurt. But I can't keep it anyway. If you take my family, will it hurt? Yeah, it'll hurt. But I can't keep them anyway. One thing I can make sure is that I'm going to be with them on the other side. So you go ahead and you take whatever you want. But I have a better possession. And I have an abiding possession. And so when we hear this promise, go back to Revelation chapter 3. I got another scripture I'd show you to, to go along with that. But yeah, you know what? I got time. I'm going to do it. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. Y'all go with me. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13 through 16. We'll read through it fast because it says the same thing that I just said. This is the mindset of people that understand that He is coming soon and my life is not about this world. This world is not my home. Look what he says. He says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. In other words, this world's not their home, right? Verse 14. For people who speak this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return to it. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. 
This is the mindset of people that hear Jesus say, I'm coming soon, and they go, <laughs> Woo! <laughs> you know what? In the Bible, there is a prayer that's prayed many, many times that we don't ever pray. You know what? It's three simple words. Anybody want to take a guess at what it is? Lord, come quickly. Come, Lord Jesus. When's the last time you heard somebody pray, Lord, come quickly? No, our mindset is, Lord, just don't come tonight. Give me a few more days. Give me a little bit more time. Because if you come tonight, I'm probably not going to be ready. And you know what? You may be right. This is the mindset of those who can pray, Lord, come quickly, and mean it with all their heart because this world is not my home. This is not what it's about. God, through Christ, has promised that He has a city prepared for me. And if He said it, He will do it. And I believe it with all of my heart. So to the faithful, I'm coming soon. And this promise brings great joy. Great joy when they hear this promise. Number five, the next promise in verse 12 of Revelation chapter 3. We'll go through these a little bit quicker just because they're kind of repetitive. <clears throat> Number, verse 12. <clears throat> the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. You ever heard somebody say that... Um, well, so-and-so was a pillar of the community. You know what that means? It means they were a prominent member, a cornerstone. They, they, were, they were a part of this community that were, they were a great support for it. They were a somebody. in this. They probably, they probably named a, a road after them. Maybe named a, a bridge in honor of them. I mean, they, they were a pillar of this community. And here, Jesus is speaking to an insignificant, small, humble church with little power. He said, I know that you have but little power, and yet you've kept my word. You ever felt insignificant in your faith? You ever felt worthless? You ever felt like you can't do nothing right? You can't get it together? You, can't, you ever felt that way? Here Jesus comes along beside of a group of people that feels insignificant and feels small and feels like they, 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 they have even nothing to offer really. And here Jesus comes alongside of them. He says, listen, let me tell you something. You're going to be a pillar in the temple of my God. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, because you've been loyal to my name, because you've been faithful, because, because you've passed the test. I will make you a pillar. Jesus says, I will declare you a somebody in the kingdom of God. In the temple of God, you are going to be a somebody. Now that promise means a lot to me. Because I just described to you the person that I feel like most of the time. God, why do you even keep dealing with me? Why, why don't you just give up on me? God, I'm just a lost cause. God, I'm so insignificant. I, I, I can't do nothing right. Um, I, I'm the worst pastor that there's ever, that there's ever been. I, I'm even ashamed to stand before you to declare myself that I was in this ministry for you. 
so small, so insignificant, and yet Jesus comes along beside of you and He says, Hey, let me tell you something. Just be faithful to my word. Just be loyal to my name. Just patiently endure through this life. And I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. And I hear a promise like that. And Philadelphia hears a promise like that. And all they can do is praise God. God, thank you that you make me somebody. I may be a nobody, and that is true, but you make me a somebody. And I'm thankful for that. The next promise, the last one, it's a threefold promise, also comes from verse 12. Look what he says. He says, Never shall he go out of this temple, and I will write on him the name of my God, And I will write on him the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from God out of heaven. And I will write on him my own new name. Here's the promise that Jesus says. I am going to identify you as mine. You belong to the city of God. You belong to my God. You belong to the new Jerusalem. You belong to Jesus Christ Himself. You belong here. Listen guys, I don't belong in the kingdom of heaven. In and of myself, I do not belong there. I got no right. I got no place. But Jesus says to the faithful, I will write on you the name of my God and you will belong to Him. I will write on you the name of the city of my God and you will belong to that city. I will write on you my own new name and you will belong to me. I will make you belong. These promises are great and precious. And then he ends with verse 13 of Revelation 3. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In closing, you may feel this morning insignificant, small, but Jesus opened the door to God's kingdom and no one can shut it. If you are faithful this morning and you can see the genuineness of your faith in action, you may have been hated by the world for For His name's sake, your enemies may have come against you in so many different ways. And yet, here He promises you, they'll bow before your feet. Just keep loving them. Keep doing good. They'll learn that I have loved you. You may be tested now, but I'm going to keep you from the final test. So just keep passing these tests. You may have to patiently endure right now, but just hold on. I'm coming. I'm coming. And when I come back, I've got a place prepared for you. You may not feel like you fit in anywhere. You may not feel like you have anything to offer the kingdom of God. Just keep being faithful to my word. Keep being loyal to my name. Just keep trusting me. You need to understand that I'm going to make you a somebody. I'm going to make you a pillar in the temple of my God. You may feel like you don't belong where you are. That you're not worthy. Guess what? You're not. But I'm going to write on you the name of my God the name of the city of my God and my own new name and you will belong because I said you belong.
And those are the promises that Christ makes to the faithful. My question to you, are you the faithful? Not the perfect. Are you the faithful? Are you listening for His Word? Are you being obedient to His Word by the power of His Holy Spirit? Are you, are you confessing your sin, forsaking your sin, repenting of your sin, and coming back to Him time after time after time? If that's you, these promises apply to you today. And I pray they're precious to you.